My name is Gianni Russo, a.k.a. Carlo, the infamous son-in-law from The Godfather. I'm now known as the Hollywood Godfather, and this is my... Welcome, everybody. It's time for another Hollywood Godfather podcast. And this one is in memory of a couple of people, because unfortunately, they're all dead now that we're going to talk about them. Unfortunately for them, anyway. Unfortunately for them, definitely. Uh, It's a situation that if you read our book, we touched on a man who touched my life in a very special way at the age of seven years old. And no one, I don't know how many people could say that Carlo Gambino touched their life at seven, but he sent me a transistor radio up in the polio ward with his niece, Dolores Barone. And I really thought the guy was my uncle because we were raised that anybody over 21, male or female, you either were aunt or uncle. Well, I was raised thinking I had hundreds of thousands of people in my family <laughs> being in New York. Anyway. But, yes. Anyway, what? You're going to introduce who you're going to be working with this evening. Oh, good. I got <laughs> so lost. I got so lost. No, it's, well, it's an emotional show for me. I know. Anyway, I apologize. My darling, Jeannie. Hello. Everybody look at it. I'm sure you are anyway without my direction. But, uh, <laughs> Hi, everybody. All right. And she's coming from Utah. That's right. We got memories. Wild, there. wonderful Utah. It's not that wild, but you guys scared me the other day. Can what? I introduce our other co-host? Oh, please. That'd be nice. Please. All right. The, the wonderful, talented writer, investigator, uh, Patrick Piccarelli. Oh, thank you very much for that uh, wonderful. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, you, you, from now on, you do that because you, you, you're more eloquent than I am. I only know <laughs> I only know him as my best friend and co-writer. Thank yeah, that's enough. <laughs> I anyway, love that. Evening, that's uh, even well, you, uh, Gianni, you you introduced the show. You you started it. Uh, continue. Well, okay. the reason I mean, again, I, I apologize for not that I ignored you, but I got you know, th- this has been on my mind since October third, when I found out uh, uh, Tommy Gambino, Carlos' oldest son, died. And uh, we wanted to tri- do a tribute show to him. And this was the first opportunity we had. And again, as I say, this man has been a thread in my life, his father, all my life. And then it wasn't until later on, because I never met Tommy was like 12 years old. 12 or seven, How many years older than him? 12 or 17? 14. 14 years older than me. And, you know, that's a big gap. When you're seven and the guy's <laughs> one. <laughs> but anyway, I met him later on, got to know him well. In fact, uh, I'm going to send Jeannie the picture of my last picture with Tommy Gambino together. So we should put that up with the story. But getting back to that, I mean, he, he and I don't know how we knew, I still don't know. Um, he knew I was in the Polio Award. My birthday was coming up. Dolores Barone was his niece, and he told her to look in on me. She was a nurse. She was the floor nurse. She was a she was a candy stripe. I don't know if anybody really knows what that was. That was a nurse in training. And while I was there over the five years, she became an RN. And at the end was like my floor nurse. But all during that time, 
she would bring me the extra jello, the pudding, the end of the night. And the most important thing, she'd give me a hug. And I needed a hug, believe me. And uh, she wasn't too bad to hug either at that age. But anyway. <laughs> but Gianni, talk I, about what, my darling? I just have I just have a quick question because you um, always speak so fondly of her. Did you ever see her again after you got out of there? Many, many years ago when I was in, in uh, having a, a great time and really – well, how do I say it when I get myself indicted? Um, was <laughs> very prosperous. So I looked her up to find out she moved with her daughter to California. And I met the daughter. She was already in hospice. Oh. And, uh, it was terrible. I, I didn't want to see her because I wanted to leave the vision of who she was. But I, I took care of anything else that they needed, funerals and stuff like that just as a gesture. And the mother knew everything about me, which I, I was flattered. But uh, because she, she followed me, you know, as a kid, and then it became an actor, and not all the other things, but all the things that were positive. But uh, I thought that was pretty nice. And um, oh, so the Gambino right. family, to me, has always been a, a threat in my life. And it goes full circle, because I just came out of Sicily. And one of their oldest family members, who's 98 years of age, is still alive. He sent his driver to pick me up, and uh, I met him. And uh, the Gambino family in Sicily is very much alive, which most of them are in this country are not. I mean, they're alive, but not flourishing the way they were in organized crime. But uh, Tommy, uh, uh, Gianni, uh, Tommy lived right around the corner from you, right? Yeah, right. One block over. Yeah. One block over. Bought a townhouse. I mean, and that's something uh, with all the, all the things you found out about him for me. I didn't know that stuff, but um, I knew he was very wealthy. He had a legitimate business that I thought was legitimate. It was called the trucking business in the garment industry. But we're getting ahead of ourselves because of me. I loved him because I had a conversation with Mario Puzo when I was doing The Godfather. And I wanted to know who he fashioned The Godfather after. And I don't think people know this. There were three Dons, and I happened to know all three of them, which was Johnny Pafacci, who owned all the olive oil company in the world. Joe Pafacci, rather. John, I know his son. Joe Pafacci was the olive oil king at that time in the real world. And Carlo Gambino, was the image that we saw on screen of Don Corleone in the garden. That's what he did in Brooklyn. He had his tomato plants, he did everything. And then where you saw the line in the, with the sit-down meeting with all the godfathers, where I think it was Barzini mentioned that you're being very modest, Don Cheech, that you have all the politicians, the police presence in your palm of your hand. You have to share them with us. And that was Frank Costello, the guy who really raised me after 12 years of age. So, I mean, so when I start to reflect on this movie, I thank God I got in it because I realized and learned a lot more of who these people really were. And our audience probably knows who they are now, too. Uh, I, I had a, I'm going to call it a run-in. I had a 
meeting with Tommy Gambino. Uh, I had just retired from the NYPD. I want to make that clear. And I, I just got my PI license. Uh, and I was doing an investigation in the garment district. Uh, Tommy ran the garment district. And if you run the garment district, you run uh, at the time, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, probably till the late 70s, early 80s, you ran clothes manufacturing for the whole United States. That right. was shipped out overseas, China, et cetera. But an extremely powerful man. Anyway, this uh, the, 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 the clients who hired me were two brothers who ran a, a very large uh, uh, textile shop that was huge, uh, took, took up a couple of floors. Somebody ripped them off of their petty cash. Their petty cash was $50,000. And it was in a safe that somebody got into, and it had to be somebody that worked for them. So I was hired to find out who did it. I don't want to get it. It's a long, involved story, but I uh, I found out who did it, and it turned out to be one of the brothers. Oh, his own brothers, of course. So yeah, one brother was stealing from the other brother, uh, and uh, I, I let them hash it out. <laughs> you know, I was uh, give me a check. Oh yeah, hello. I'll see you. But then I got a call from someone who's, this is many years ago, so the, the, the name escapes me. But they said, somebody wants to see you so you can explain to them what happened on this case. So I said, well, I really can't do that because they have, they have no skin in the game, so to speak. Uh, and the guy tells me, yeah, he does. <laughs> and, and, and please come up. You're going to have to talk to him. So then I start to figure who I'm, I'm going to be talking to. So I go. Uh, with someone, and I forget who it was. Uh, I, I went up to an office on Thirty Sixth Street, I believe. And uh, you didn't? Did you? You knew, or you just surmised? I never met Tommy Gambino. Uh, at, up till that point, I didn't know who I was going to meet either. Oh, okay. But they said you have to meet with someone and explain to them what happened here. So anyway, I, I go up. I don't know what floor we were on. The guy I was with tells me to wait in in, in the office in in the hallway. There was a like a bench there. I waited. He goes in the office. I waited ten minutes, fifteen minutes, twenty minutes. Finally, he comes out and he says, "Okay, come on in." And that's when he told me, he "said Mr. Gambino would like to speak to you now." And I said, "Okay." <laughs> I mean, uh, so I I walked in there, and first of all, I had never seen Tommy Gambino. I've seen Carlo Gambino. Anybody who, who looks just like yeah, if, if you're not living like under a, a rock, you know what, what Carlo Gambino looked like. I walked into Carlo uh, was long dead by that time. He died in the 70s. This was in the uh, this is like 1989. OK, I walked into the office and they're sitting in front of me is Carlo Gambino. I'm going to swore that this I, was directed. I mean, I know he was powerful, but to come back from the dead, I don't think so. <laughs> I mean, the guy looked, well, you know, I mean, the guy looked exactly. Like I know. It. So, well, that's why the, the picture, Jeannie, that I'm going to send you for the for the show is the last picture I had of him alive, and it was pretty recent. Yeah, that was my next question. When, when was that? Do you remember? Yeah, it was uh, about four or five years ago. Okay. That we were what at an event, and yeah. somebody came to me. They were honoring me. I remember it well. They were honoring me at the uh, St. Francis Food Pantry, Joe Sano, and I was responsible with others to raise $780,000 to feed the homeless in New York for St. Francis uh, Food Pantry. And he said, I got a surprise to you. A guy wants to see you. Now, 
I can't get into it, but you will know about it. I mean, two families merged. People don't know this. Tommy's, Tommy Gambino married a Lucchese. And the Lucchese family was a big crime family, one of the five families in New York. So it was like a merge of these two. That's Tommy's wife. So this guy knew all of them. And uh, he said, this guy came to see you. He's only here for a few minutes. So I went right over and I couldn't believe it. And like you just said, yeah, I thought I saw a ghost. <laughs> everything about him, his mannerism, his everything. Eyes, about him. I mean, everything, his hair. Everything. I, I, there's nothing. I, I mean, it, it was like cloned. Yeah. I, I, I go in there and the, the initial shock. Well, first of all, going in to meet a Gambino, and I know it was Tommy before I walked in because I was home. But uh, I mean, I was and I was a little scared to tell you the truth. Am, am I going to finger this guy who stole the money? Is this guy going to wind up in a, in a, in a, in a trunk, a Cadillac at Kennedy Airport? I didn't know. You know so I, anyway, I, I, I go in there and what? He put me at ease right away. I mean, a very calm, very respectful, uh, very friendly smile. Uh, he said, please sit down. He said, uh, I'm very confused as to what happened here. And, uh, you know, I, 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 I told him exactly what happened, how I went about it, because he said, how did you figure this out? You know, so I told him how I did it. And uh, the guy, I got the guy to confess. And when I left, you know, I told Tommy, I said, they were hugging and crying. And I said, let me, let me get out of here. <laughs> well, I have to check in my hand. I don't want to get involved in this anymore. I did my job. And that's what I told him. And I said, well, that's how it happened. He said, okay. It's just, you know, by the time the word gets to me, uh, I don't hear the whole story. And I might hear it incorrectly. He spoke extremely well. Oh, he's well uh, anyway, educated. My God. I, was I don't know how long I was there. It felt like 10 hours, probably 10 minutes. And uh, when I was ready to leave, uh, you know, he said, thank you very much. And I figured, well, this is the end of the meeting. I start to get up. He gets up, which surprised me. You know, he, he got up and extended his hand. Thank you very much. Things that people of that stature in that life do not do, as Johnny will attest to. You well, know, you, know, it's something, you know, that's the interesting comparison that I have, fortunately, because I've lived so long and I was involved around those people for so young. The new, the new generation has no respect. I know, I know. None. I mean, none. <clears throat> but anybody I knew that old, I mean, like Tony Accardo's house. When I got invited to Tony Accardo's house, and for our audience who doesn't know who he is, he ran the outfit in Chicago. Now, Chicago don't have five families. They have one and he was behind the scenes. Everybody thought Sam Giancana was the boss. He was the street boss, but Tony was the boss. So now I'm going to the airport, and a very close friend of mine, Nick Nitty, at the time he's my partner, he's passed on now. He said, you know, you should stay an extra day. I got an invitation for you to go to Mr. Cardo's house tonight for dinner. I was fell down. Not only that, you know, what kind of, I can, I can relate to that because I wasn't in my comfort zone talking to this guy, you know, and you probably weren't either initially walking in, but no. I would assume that he put you at ease right away. That's what I'm saying. They were so, the, the old timers were so polite, very assured who they were. They need to show a grandstand like 
these newcomers, not to mention some of them, but uh, put his arm around me. So I heard so much about you. Nick loves you. And if Nick loves you, I love you. And uh, I knew about his dining room three stories below the main rooms in his house because he wanted to go and eat dinner with his friends and no nobody was recording them they had that house stereotype i mean the fbi i think bought houses around him trying yes. to get them and he cooked everything that we ate which another thing impressed me but you know, I, I had, like I said, uh, the, the privilege of Gropper and, and Nick Donoff and all those guys, all those old timers. They were exactly what you're saying about what it used to be. These guys yeah. were gentlemen. They were yeah, gentlemen. I, truthfully, I couldn't wait to get the hell out of there. <laughs> oh, well, I mean, it, it's intimidating. You know, yeah. I, I, unfortunately, I, I, I became a, a regular guest when I was in uh, Chicago. He would always invite me. And but the thing is that, like you say, it to know who they are and the power they wield—it's insane. Yeah. And then, as I mentioned, in, or we mentioned in our book, when I had a major problem of Spolatro shooting up my house with my family in it, I called him. He gave me his private number. He said, "Only use it when you need to," and I don't want to get Nick Nady involved. I called him. He's what's the matter? I said, I had a problem at my house today. Guess what he said to me? I already know about it. Yeah, they know everything. <laughs> scary. <laughs> yeah, it is scary. Yeah, you, you, you want, you know, it's a, it's a question. They ask you a, a, a question when they're on that level. Uh, the boss will ask you a question. He already knows the answer to the question. Yeah, yeah. So uh, that's why I, I was very careful with, with, with what I said. But I'm saying he already knows all about this. He doesn't know. The, the road I took to get to the solution. That's what he was after. That he didn't know. Right. But he knew what one brother stole from the other brother, and he was going to deal with that. Uh, but anyway, the, the, these two people, they were fine. You know, they kissed the mate up, and there wasn't any violence involved. In well, there wasn't. Oh, wow. No, there wasn't anything. He, uh, one brother had a uh, had a, a very bad gambling Jones. I was going to say, that or drugs. When I polygraphed everybody in the, that's how I discovered this. I polygraphed all the employees because there had to be somebody in there. And the 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 safe was what's known as day locked. You ever hear that expression? Day locked. In the morning, it locks up and don't open until night. A, a, a day lock is for lazy people. When they have a safe, they'll oh. put whatever they have in there. And when they close it, they will uh, they will use the combination. Uh, to the point where you got to go one more number. One number, yeah. So when they go to reopen it, they don't have to go, you know, left and right, left and right. You only have to go to one number, and they say oh. that's called day locking. So it, it had to be somebody in the business who knew it was day locked, and they just go one click at a time until they get it, you know. And that's how they stole the money out of there. And if it was the brother, but anyway, I polygraphed everybody, and they would pay me a lot of money. I mean, it was like forty employees. Oh. And uh, I, I, I'm pretty good at what I do. And you know, I'm not, not, I'm not dealing with criminals. I'm dealing with employees. And these type of cases I get right away. Everybody comes up clean. Uh, then I figure, well, I'm going to have to polygraph the brothers. But the way I explained myself to them was, I don't want to think that I suspected them. I said, look, you know, I just polygraphed all your employees. I, I'm going to leave here today. 
you have to live with these people and they don't think you trust them. So just for the sake of, uh, of the show, process of elimination, everybody right, let, me, let me, let me polygraph you, you two guys. I polygraphed the two of them and they both pass. Now I'm thinking, now what do I do? And I'm starting to shake and sweat. So I figured one thing about investigations, you know, you really have to look into what you do, what the criminal did, what you're doing wrong, what the, what you know they did wrong. When you ask a question, like the main, this is a five, five uh, relevant questions. One of them being, did you steal money from the safe, you know, between Friday and, and, and Monday when it was discovered? Yeah, all that stuff. I used, with the brothers, I used the word steal. And the thief was one of the brothers who rationalized in his head. It's automatic process. You can't steal your own money. All right. And I realized what I did. And I retested them. And I used the word take. And that's how I got them. Did you and suspect one or the other? Did you think that's be, because It wasn't the employees. It's when you're testing people that aren't criminals, they, they, they fold like a day-old souffle. I mean, they they just they they can't handle it, and they either pass very well or they fail miserably. And everybody, yeah, you, you said something very interesting. They they all had the safe combination. So I did just no, no, nobody had a. It was day locked. The safe was open up until the last number. So but how do they know that? Because these people started there. All the employees were there. Some of them were there fifty years. This was like a family. Nobody they came all in. knew that? Well, 40 employee people knew. Well, yeah, the word gets out that the safe is day locked. I mean, everybody knew the bosses. It was like one big family. I have a safe. Just leave it on the desk then. Exactly. You know, <laughs> day locking. That's not the first case I had where a safe was day locked. It's pretty common. But people are lazy. They figure, who's going to steal from me? Well, you find out. But uh, that's how I, I just changed the word from steal to take. And, and that guy failed miserably. And, uh, and I confronted him by himself. And I said, I got to get out of here because I don't want to get in the middle of any family squabbles. I did my job. But I told him, I said, look, you better come clean here, you know, and, and talk to your brother. Uh, otherwise, I'm going to have to do it. I don't want to do it. And he did. And he confessed and everything, you know, everything was done. But anyway, Tommy Gambino, uh, I, I left there. I, I left that, 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 that meeting feeling very good, not wondering what was going to happen next. He's a businessman. Oh, yeah, no. Definitely. He's not going to, I guess it's a very successful business, and he's not going to destroy it just because somebody screwed up once, you know. So, anyway, Tommy uh, was one of the few college educated mobsters at the time. It was unheard of. Right. And most wise guys didn't go to school at all, let alone, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, after high school. Uh, he he graduated. I forget uh, about it, even grammar school. Oh, that, a lot of the early go, ones never early, went anywhere. He 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 went to Manhattan College, which was part of the city university system. So it was a free education. He went for nothing, and uh, he gets out of there. And as as, as you said, uh, he gets married to a uh, Lucchese, uh, Francis Lucchese. Yeah, and now one the, the big, one of the biggest weddings, Jeannie, in, in New York City. A thousand Ever. guests. <laughs> yeah. Party. A thousand people for dinner. Oh. <laughs> I mean, I, I work security. Did they stay married? Did they stay married? Oh, yeah. Oh, are you kidding? They, yeah, no, they no, probably no, had no. to. You, that's it. I work security at some of the biggest uh, uh, weddings for the richest families in New York. I've never come close to a thousand people. You know, I mean, it's, uh, 
the uh, Helmsley's was about the closest, about 500. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, uh, 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 Tommy Lucchese gave Tommy Gambino and his daughter a $30,000 gift. I, I uh, think that was underrated. I think they made that public. I think it was a lot more than that. <laughs> yeah, probably. Uh, and Lucchese also gave him control of what was then known as Idlewild Airport. To turn right. out to Kennedy Airport. He, he gave it to him as a gift. The airport's yours. Yeah, they shared it. Yeah, and that's what basically it started. It was LaGuardia at the time before it was JFK. <laughs> no, it was. Far back we're going. Yeah, it, it was uh, Idlewild. Idlewild, Idlewild. Yeah, yeah. Stupid name. Uh, anyway, that's what started his, uh, his uh, criminal career. He that was the wedding gift, the airport? Yes, he gave him an airport, planes and all. <laughs> no, no, right. no. He gave the, see, the Lucchese's ran, the, the, the Lucchese's had that territory. That was their, one of their things. Oh, and, okay. And that's, I, that's again, in fact, that goes back to another story later on in life when, because they knew everything that's going on there, that's when Jimmy Burke did the Lufthansa heist. Ah. Oh. Because that was out there, and they, they still had the same people. They had control of everything. It's crazy times, crazy times. Yeah, so when, when, when Lucchese dies in 1967, he had interest in the, in, in the garment industry also. Everything went to Tommy Gambino. And uh, that's how he took over the garment district. Yeah. Uh, and that's the basis of his wealth. And if it's the basis of his wealth, it's the basis of the family's wealth. Because oh, yeah. the, the money flows upstream and uh you know john Gotti, and I'm, I'm i'm paraphrasing this but uh john Gotti realized uh tommy gambino's worth and he basically said leave this guy alone this is after he whacked paul castellanos leave this guy alone he's making a ton of money and if, oh, yeah. if, if, he, a big if, he, needs, if, if he needs any help you know with anything don't give don't give Tommy Gambino assholes. Give him stand-up guys that'll actually help him. Because he knew, you know, where the money was coming from. So Tommy was Tommy was left alone to make a ton of money. You know, it's interesting what you're saying there. When because uh, along with Paul Castellano getting shot in front of Sparks was a very close friend of money. In fact, he was my best man, Tommy Bellotti. I knew Tommy all my life. And when Tommy got shot, his older brother, Joey, was a tough guy. Joey Bellotti was known for it. And they, they brought him in right away. John sent come people and bring to, uh, Joey in. And they uh, sat him down. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Finish your thought. So they sat him down. They said, listen, to him, Joe, your brother had to go. Now, if you have a problem with this, let us know right now. And I'll just kill you right now. Or if you're going to be okay. I mean, they told him that exactly that. You know, and, and, and you know, everybody's probably thinking, yeah, well, he could probably say, yeah, everything's cool. But no, you, you got to tell the truth. Oh, I no. Mean, oh, yeah. If they thought you were lying, they'd kill you. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, it's it's there. They, you know, the respect among the bosses. There's a regime change. They ask you a question, answer it truthfully. But let me ask you this, Johnny. John Bolotti, wasn't he the guy that you asked to shoot you? No, Joey. Yeah, Joey. Joey was the one I asked to shoot me. 
This, Gina, you never heard this. You're going to sh- you're gonna have to explain this story. Jim. Yes, you are. <laughs> <laughs> no, what happened? Hold on. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Joey Bellotti was Back a marksman. A marksman. I mean, this guy was, I'm telling you, this guy would take people out. He knew what he was doing, training. He was a hunter. He was a hunter, but no, I mean, hunted people too in the streets. He was a big game. <laughs> I mean, big game. No, he was a big game hunter and known for that. In fact, he used to go hunting with Nori Yeager. He invited him. Tommy yeah. was, I mean, Joe, Joey Bellotti was a major. Uh, Tommy was tough. And then Tommy was on a street boss and worked his way up and made a ton of money. And Tommy was actually a little smarter than Joey. Joey was one dimension. They, uh, when the premiere of The Godfather, he used <laughs> to talk I'm saying to myself, you know, I snuck in number one. We uh, The people knew that the Colombo family were looking for me, number two. New York police told me that. Organized crime told me that. FBI told me that. And some people in the Colombo family told me that. Because if for the people who didn't read our book, Tommy Bellotti was the guy that called me not to go to the rally on June 28, 1982. 72. 82. Oh, 82, right, yeah, yeah. No, 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 not 82. What am I talking about? 71. 71, right, yeah, because I was in, I was film, in LA. The film came out in 72. Yeah. So he's, I said, I have to go. He said, well, the old man don't want you to go with me and Carlo Gramino. I said, Tommy, the guy gave me the part for the picture. I got to be, she can't go when he hung up. So now I'm saying to myself, how am I going to get out of this? So I thought real smart. I called Barry Schlotnick up, who was my lawyer at the time, and the lawyer for the anti-Italian anti-defamation league. And I said, I have stomach flu. I cannot sit on the dais. I can't sit anywhere. So when they did the investigation, because that afternoon, they shot Joe, Joe Bala, I mean Joe uh, Colombo, six times. And he never came out of a coma. He was in a coma for five years and then died. And yeah, they killed, then they killed the shooters. That day they killed like 11 people to clean up everything. So now they're doing the investigation of the crime scene. And on the dais is an empty chair that had my name on it. So now everybody wanted to know the FBI, organized crime, and the Colombo family. Where was Johnny Russo? Why wasn't he there? So thank God I came up with that. Because I went to see Costello. I said, listen, I got a problem. He said, what is it? And I told him. He said, who knew you weren't going? I said, I talked to, to Barry Slotnick. I told him that I couldn't because that stomach flu. I knew I had to come up with something. You told Barry that. He said, yeah. he said, go to Vegas. Go to the Tropicana Hotel. I happen to own it. <laughs> Which I had this dumb look on my face. I didn't know he owned the hotel. I said, just stay there. Because he needed time to talk to them, and they resolved it. So I wouldn't be talking now. But uh, get to why yeah. you asked Joey to shoot you. No, that's what I'm getting. Chris. Oh, okay. Oh, no, I'm getting to. So now everything's okay. I can come in. So now it's the world premiere to Godfather. I still had to sneak in. And I thought, with all these major stars, this so, I mean, the book was in its fifth print. Everybody in the world was showing up at the New York Paramount on, on Broadway. And I figured, I'm going to get out of the limousine, and they're going to say, and Johnny Russo. And they're going to say, what is this guy? Is the guy at pizza? Who is this guy? We don't Who's know. It? Who is <laughs> it? 
But I thought, being that everybody knew about this, I'd put Joey up on the roof, and I got out of the car. He shoots me down right on loud, uh, live television. That was the plan. That was the plan. Yeah. Merv Griffin was on one side, and and uh, who was the other guy? Major guy, too, uh, with his show. And they were televising live the world premiere of The Godfather. So I figured... He was supposed to, you know, to, Jay, to, to clarify this, he, he was such a great shot. He was oh, yeah, he was a marksman. He was supposed to wing you. Yeah. Oh, no, not, not, you know, shoot me in the leg, shoot me in the arm, not, not in a major organ. Yeah. But he sat me down. He said, I can't do this. He said, let me, let me, let's meet. So I, I, I met with him privately. He said, let me just tell you something. You know nothing about long-range shooting. If there's a breeze, it can move a bullet two to three inches and you're dead. Even a raindrop. Yeah. He's yeah. Like, yeah, anything. Yeah. <laughs> You know, he said, I, I can't do it. I won't, I won't do it. So he didn't do it. But that was my plan of becoming an overnight. <laughs> saying, I, Johnny Russo, who played Carlo, got shot down last night in the Godfather. Everybody want to know who I am. <laughs> uh, well, you, you, you always tell everybody honestly that you have a tremendous ego. Oh, yeah, I do. Well, that night, it was born. <laughs> I oh my mean, God. Tell me to, to get it. to say, I got I have a great idea. Shoot me. So I, I could be on the front page of the post. <laughs> Hilarious. Anyway. Thank goodness somebody had the voice of reason kicked in there. Well, <laughs> yeah. I should have somebody just run up to me and shoot me. Like, uh, you know, Frank Costello did. Would yeah. But <laughs> anyway, is it time for a break? Oh, yeah, time for a break. Yeah, right. All right, please. We'll be right back. And don't go nowhere. You know we know where you live. Hi, Patrick Picciarelli here. Before we get to our listeners' emails, a quick word about the new fiction book series I've launched. Private investigator Ray Yale tackles his first two cases in Bloodshot Eyes and The Pop Line. Both books are in paperback and are available on Amazon.com. Okay, we're back. Okay, so... Uh, Tommy, Tommy had three homes. He had one in Florida, one in Lido Beach, uh, New York. Isn't that where uh, his dad lived too, Lido Beach? No, Call his mother lived in Brooklyn. Didn't he have a house on the island? No, not okay. that I know. Call him, oh, yeah. same house. And uh, yeah, I knew, I knew he lived there, but I also thought he had a house on, on Long Island. But anyway, he also oh, had Costello a- Costello uh, did, you're talking about. No, Tom, uh, uh, Carlo Gambino. You did? Okay. Yeah. Anyway, uh, I could be wrong. I usually am. Anyway, uh, he also, uh, they say, uh, when I did my research, he lived also on Manhattan's exclusive Upper East Side, excuse me, which is where you live. Right. Yeah. You know, that what you just said, one of my wife's attorneys called me when they changed our zip code here. You know, they changed our zip code about five years ago. I know that. Yeah. It's 10065. Okay. And they publicized that that's the most exclusive, richest zip code in the world. Yeah. Well, three lawyers called me up. They wanted more money for the <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's like living in uh, 90210. Is that your zip in uh, Beverly Hills? Oh, no. That that no, that no, was that stupid show. 
No, but there was a zip. Well, that was just yeah, 90210. That was that stupid show. 90210 was a, a quiz. Yeah. A, a, a kid's show or whatever it was. Yeah, but I know. But that was a legitimate zip code. Was that yours? You had a home in that. No, place. mine was on Malone Drive. A little oh, bit okay. better than that. <laughs> okay, so uh, anyway, uh, uh, Tommy was indicted twice uh, before he actually went to jail. One of the uh, indictments, th this, is, this is the power of the mob. This is a criminal indictment. And uh, they made a deal after the indictment. He didn't go to trial. He made a deal on a criminal indictment that he would pay a fine of a few bucks. I believe it was 20 million. Yeah. A few bucks. I was going to say yeah. uh, $20 million. million. And he promised to get out of the garment district business. Right. I don't think he did uh, because the next time he got arrested, he was arrested for having a monopoly in the garment district. Well, that was a wiretap from Paul Castellano's yeah. house. But they were later. talking about, uh, well, they set him up on that. I know. I remember that because he did get out. He had he had his hands in it, but nobody knew about it. Yeah. But he got out. But they wanted him so bad. It was an election year, and they had an old wiretap in Paul Castellano's house. You 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 knew the guy. You said they put it in. What's that? The, the FBI. Oh, yeah, guy. Yeah. Uh, Joe oh, yeah. yeah. In fact, I heard from him yesterday. Yeah, Joe O'Brien's an FBI agent. We should put him on the show. I, you know, I re, I remember on the foot of Emerson Hill on Richmond Road. Don't even ask me how I remember this. <laughs> they took an apartment right down from you know where they lived up on yeah, the right. yeah. on the hill. That's where the FBI was, and they ran all their wires. They were in there as phone men, telephone men in his house, and that's how they planted everything in this house. Yeah, I, I know Joe very well. We 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 speak often. They built a two scale model of that house. This took eight months to plant that bug in that house. Oh, and they, they did they did dry runs in the mock-up of the house until they went in, Joe and two other guys. When the maid was home, Paul wasn't home, and they planted the bug in the house, and the rest is history. That's how Paul Castellano went down. And you know the interesting thing? That maid was his mistress. Yeah, right. Yeah. The Who's maid mistress? was his mistress. Paul Castellano's mistress. <laughs> yeah, but was the maid in the house? He yeah. lived there with his wife, and, yeah. he was and he was doing the maid at the same time. Actually, Paul had a little bit of a problem in that area, but we don't want oh, to get no. into that. Oh, no, no. Holman, he had a transplant put in. That's what I mean. Well, not a problem. He had, he had a problem, problem, and he got the transplant. And then, and then got it rebuilt. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he, he had a little puppy I mean, puppy. when you I, I sat down one night. It was, I, I didn't, I well, I used to bunk into them. I never wanted to be because I, you know, I had I just want to hear what I was going to hear. This night, I hear a story I could not believe. Three guys out of the six guys at the table had the same doctor do this same operation. I'm saying, this is this is a penal implant. They put basically oh a balloon in your junk, and you have uh, an air inflation. Yeah, yeah, your left side, you pump to make yeah. it go. And the right side, just squeeze it and lets the air out. Are you nuts? <laughs> and then, I mean, it was a big operation. Think about it. Of course. It. Yeah. About six, seven weeks just recuperating. Anyway, C Castellano had this done. And he figured, I'm going to try this out. <laughs> so he, <laughs> he, he, he tried it on, on the maid. And, and apparently there was a love connection there. And <laughs> he, 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 he was doing the maid. His wife knew about it. 
Oh, she didn't want to be bothered with him no more. No, she, I would, yeah, right. They had separate rooms. The whole Maybe difference. she liked the butler. You know, you know that that happened with Ava Gardner. Well, she had Ava, a claim. Ava Gardner went <laughs> to to Cohen wife and said, you know, I know you, I know you and I know your husband, your husband's been trying to bed me for, forever. And I have to get this part for Frank Sinatra and here to return it. And I want to go to Acapulco with him, but I will not go unless you know about it and approve it. She goes, you're going to do what? You love Sinatra that much? She go have all the fun you want. The guy stinks. The guy yeah. don't even go near him. You're going to go near him. She did. Yeah. Why Sinatra was so mad. Because when they put in the movie, The Godfather, that the mob got him that part. Ava Gardner got him that part. Well, and he wasn't, yeah, he wasn't so mad when he got that Oscar, though, I, I would think. Oh, no, but he didn't know until later on. We'd be on that. Yeah. You know, years later. That, that, that penal implant, I don't know how we got on this topic, but that, that sort of <laughs> helped. You know, it, it's a sign in 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 that life. It's a sign of weakness. Oh my and God! Oh he got dear. to be. That was the start. He got to be the laughing stock. That was the first thing, and it started a road away on his uh, his ability to lead because of that. You know, all, all, all the jokes, and I, I could think of five off the top of my head, but we won't discuss them. I mean, you know, constant joking about Castellano? it. Is that who you're talking about? Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah as big as he was, yeah. couldn't get it up. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. Okay. And, and, and then on top of that, he was he was a cheap bastard. He he was taking oh my God. soldiers. Well, he cut all the call all the tidings. Yeah. He raised them and gave them less. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, he had to go. So uh anyway, so uh uh Tommy goes to jail. And uh, Tommy, the rumor was that he was scared to death of prison. You know, people don't like to go to prison. But if you have a phobia, you're gonna have a real problem in there. So that's why he agreed to the to the to the twenty million dollars. That's a lot. Claustrophobic. He was claustrophobic. Basically. Yeah, yeah. But uh, he did his five years when when they finally got. He wasn't buying himself out of that. But when he got out, he said, "That's it. Uh, I'm not going to put myself in a position like this again." He started a uh, a foundation. Uh, he and his wife called the Gambino Medical and Science Foundation and. Uh, uh, raised $2 million for pediatric bone marrow transplants at the Long Island Jewish Medical Center. He put up a lot of his own money for this. I can continue to do that, too. Yeah, continually, continually pump money into it. And this it wasn't was one late, time. This was the later part of his life. Right. You know, he, 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 he realized, he must have realized what kind of a life he led and he was getting close to the end. You know, and he wasn't that close to the end. He lived 20 years after. Right. Uh, no, he just didn't want to get like, well, again, to reflect on what we just talked about, that wiretap was 10 or 15 years old that put him in jail. Yeah. And they knew these elections and these RICO acts and all that. They were just going to keep going after him because it was his last name. To get him, and they did. Yeah, well, if they want you, they want you. You know, that's why they went after Gotti's son with four trials on the same charge. Never yeah. heard of that. Hung jury, wow. hung jury, hung jury, and they keep trying you. You know, so finally they gave up. Uh, but anyway, till uh, till till the day he died. Now I don't know. You probably know this. Uh, was he actively involved anymore? No. Nope. The last twenty years of his life. Nope. Well, think about who would be have to be involved with. He don't want to be around Sammy the Bull and John Gotti and these people. 
He was a gentleman, educated man. He didn't need to be around anybody. He had millions. I don't even know how much money he still has. You know, he's got children of his own or brothers and sisters. But no, he uh, he's, he's he was a very, and probably still is. He just died last week. So yeah, Gotti saw, you know, one of the few times Gotti was reasonable. And he said, leave Tommy alone. Yeah. They left, they left him alone. Well, let me let me give you a little secret. When I just said I was in Sicily and I met the Gambino family yet, yeah. they are still running an awful lot. And their arm in New York City is here yet. Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah. We uh, pulled sure. around with that their uncle. Yeah. He'd be dead. Anybody. The word got out, leave him alone and respect him. That wasn't John uh, John Gotti who did that. He well, was just uh, I'm just uh, paraphrasing a quote they got off a of wiretap. Saying what? Basically, leave Tommy alone. If he needs any help, send him good people. That was the gist of the of the quote. Don't, you know, send him some assholes going to, you know, play with him. And uh, and, and that's and he died. You know, it wasn't any. I tell you, there was there was nothing in the papers about it. There was no o o obituaries. Nothing. No, I, I knew I knew that. And then yeah. I, it's funny because you should say that because the the post called me up. And I, they're very close to me. I won't mention the editor's name. And I called him today. And he said, um, Johnny, you know you know that world better than us. They told us not to say anything about him. That's the New York Post today. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're a little late with the news. Well, uh, no, because they kept, they were told to put it on the back burner, let it alone. Nobody read anything about Tommy Bellotti. I mean, uh, Tommy Gambino. Nobody. Yeah. Is that normal? No. <laughs> okay. I, well, know, I didn't know it was well, a lot of people I, in no, that gangster, No, a, a, a last name of a Gambino, they get semi-headlines no matter what. Anyways. Well, you know, we, we can we can bring this to a close by something that Johnny and I were talking about before the show started. Paul Castellano's house, for those of you who are uh, interested in some real estate, Paul Castellano's house is now up for sale. For $16.8 million. Now, this house was on a hill. In fact, the hill that the house is on is the highest real estate on the East Coast. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't know that. Anyway, Where 10 bedrooms, two pools, one indoor. He's got, a, he's got a gym, which I'm sure he never used. Uh, a huge, huge house, 35,000 square feet. It's been sold three times. Uh, the last time was in 2003. It was sold for $3.1 million. The person who bought it 20 years later is now selling for $16.8 million. It, you know, you what put a price you on a house toilets like that. <laughs> no, you, you put a price on a house like that so you can say, I live in Paul Castellano's house. That house is not worth $16.8 million, no? You, no? you know the house. Well, I, I know the houses up there. I've been up there all my life. You know, the uh, Richmond County Country Club's up there. I used to golf up there, but no, I mean it's a, it's a, a very affluent area, and the, the Wagner College is up there. Sixteen dollars. That's a lot. No kidding. Yeah, <laughs> a huge amount of money. I mean, I I know real estate went up, but I don't that not that that much. No, like they said, so people could say, "I live in Paul Castellano's house." Okay. That was, you know, his house. For those of you who don't know, it was called the White House for a reason. It looked like it. It was modeled after the White House in Washington. Did this yeah. guy have it go or what? <laughs> well, 
Well, you know, he wanted to be, he, I guess he wanted to be president one day. And I, well, hey, who knows what would have happened if he didn't want to have a stake that night. You know? Oh, forget about it. Wow. Okay, so what, what city is that in, Pat? What's that? New York City. Staten oh, New York. Okay. It's on Staten Island, a borough of Staten Island, which has two hills, Emerson Hill and Grimes Hill, very affluent. I mean, the houses up there for years and years and years have been monster houses. And it's just, a, and that's before the bridge, which made it even more, you know, private. You couldn't get to it. You had to take a ferry. And it's surrounded by beaches. Somehow it was a great area. And then they, what we call the Guinea gangplank, they put in called the Verde Central Bridge. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I haven't heard that term in a long time. Right? <laughs> the Guinea and then everybody moved in. Everybody's there. I, I understand that 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 toll to get over that bridge now is now twenty dollars. I, I think it is like back and forth. And I just, you know, it's so funny. I went to one school as early on before I got polio, St. John's Villa Academy. I thought I would never hear that name again. And now you're probably hearing it all over the news. They tried to bring migrants there, and they were going to house them in St. John's Villa Academy because <laughs> the school's no longer in use. That that was killed, right? Killed. They protested. People, I couldn't imagine the language. Some of the people, I mean, they're not the coolest people on Staten Island. Every other word of this one woman's mouth was beep, beep, beep. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. And she's what she's talking about on May and saying about him, put him in your house. <laughs> yeah, that's next. I, anyway, I guys, uh, that that's that's the story of uh Tommy Bellotti. May he rest in peace. Tommy Grant, Tommy Gambino. Uh, Tommy Gambino. Oh, we, we hit Bellotti. We hit a lot. We, I mean, we, we hit had, a lot of that guy. Tommy Gambino should have should have been eulogized. For just what he did in his and his, you know, his uh, his charity work. His, I mean, the guy was so philanthropic. Yeah, you don't find many people in that life, no, like that who realizes or, or says to themselves, "I'm going to do something good before I die." Yeah, and you he know, did. I, I can't think of any. <laughs> you know, I don't so, think of any. Yeah, right. Well, I mean, they did yeah. children, but their own. They and the memoir. <laughs> Watch you said something, Jeannie. I was saying, does he have any ki uh, children that will carry that on? Oh, he has a Tommy Jr., yeah. I, I don't know. You know, I never, that's one thing about them. They're very private of their kids. But I don't know how many kids. Are, I knew the father had three sons and a daughter. And uh, I don't know. Do you Did you find out how many kids? No, they don't mention. I mean, I did a lot of research on this. They don't mention anything about his children, even if he, if he had any. They don't even mention it. He has one Oh, yeah, his wife's still alive, yeah. Yeah. yeah she's, I just wondered if those foundations are still oh, the now. oh my those god, yeah, they'll be going forever. Yeah, those foundations don't die with the person who started it. No. Right. They, they they continue uh as long as people are contributing. And now and the, the good news about more. that, they actually have managers that manage their trust and reinvest the money so the money keeps coming. Yeah, no, that's going to be that's around awesome. in perpetuity. That's his. That's you know one of the things he probably had in his mind is that's his legacy. After yeah. he's gone, the uh, the 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 foundation will live on. Right. That's okay, neat. folks. All right, so that's it. Abu right. Tommy Gambino. I'm sad it's over. Yep. So you have any friends you want to talk about that were dead or killed and shot? 
Jeannie, you were sitting in front of I am trying to think if I ever asked anyone, anyone to shoot me, that's a negative. No, no, really? I don't know <laughs> oh, if you yeah. belong on this podcast. You know, we, uh, you have to come on this podcast because you made bad decisions in your life. Oh, Apparently, I've made, I've made plenty of bad decisions in my life, yeah, but, yeah. um, there's plenty of those, but, uh, no, I, I, I just like hearing about all your stories because it's so different from the Utah lifestyle. I, I have to tell you, you guys, um, when we were talking about the Ogden stories last week and telling you about all these apartments that are coming and you guys asked how the crime was and is there kidnapping and this and that. And I was thinking, no, and there might, I'm there, there's certainly crime, but um, that I was thinking, Oh man, I don't want this town to go too crazy, but it's more than likely going to happen because the apartments are going up. Every day, there's just you drive down the streets and it's just apartments after apartments after apartments. Do you know who's moving there? Do you um, know people who want to get away from here? Yeah, like you. <laughs> in California, yeah, they're all moving here. They better be nice. How many people in? How many people in rural Utah, Jeannie? I don't know, but I'll I'll look into. I don't know. I can Google it, but I'll do my homework. Don't you, I'm just curious because up until you, I never heard of the place. But then again, it's a lot of places I never heard of. Okay. Well, hey, Gianni was here a lot. It sounds like my God, I had a lot of fun. I couldn't believe there was a Playboy club there. That I know that really shocked me. In a Mormon town, the Playboy club, like the Playboy, like Hefner Playboy. Yeah. Oh yeah. Hugh Hefner had a club there. I played it. Well, it was so late, right? Yep. Yeah, so so late. Yeah, that's about forty-five minutes from me. Mm. Not far. Okay, so this was a good show, and I'm glad we paid homage to Tommy Gambino. Okay, have a good night, everybody. Thank you, Jeannie. Thank you, Johnny. Thank you, Jeannie. Good night, everybody. Good night. We'll see you next time. God bless you. that and i'll be back thank you for tuning in to the hollywood godfather podcast do you have a question for the mailbag we love hearing from our fans and answering questions about past or future episodes your favorite celebrities or anything you'd like to know submit your questions online at hollywoodgodfatherpodcast.com or you can call us at 646-776-3038 and leave us a message. Who knows, your question may even make it on the air. Remember to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Hollywood Godfather and at Real Gianni Russo. If you like our show and you like what we're doing, please leave us a review on your podcast or video streaming service. Don't forget to hit the subscribe button so you never miss an episode. Now we'll be back next week with a new exciting show and who knows who may be joining us. Until next time. Never get too old to have a little fun. Come on, I'm Gianni Russo. A genuine one of a kind. What a ride it's been, this life of mine. And I ain't done yet. I'll be back until next time. And that was that.